Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Pagini? Pagini or something like that, isn't it? Oh, you're on about the company or that? Oh, no, sorry. The Hickney. 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 Sorry, idea. Pagini? P-G and E. Yeah, I know, but like every time they said it, they were like... PG and E. Yeah, I know, but it just sounded like they were saying Pagini. I was like, David, are you trying to invent like Pokemon names? <laughs> I it was just like a cute nickname for the company. <laughs> no. All right, Mr. Demille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am. Fight. Mark. Well, good movies. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if they are some duds along the way. I'm your host, David Osger, and I am joined by our very own purveyor of justice, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. Hello there. Watch your step. <laughs> don't sue me. Don't sue me. <laughs> I could do worse things to you than suing you, to be honest. Your uh, your legal case is just doing everything you can to make sure that Phantom Thread it doesn't go back into the movie vault, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think everyone's sort of waiting for that major sort of case to happen. <laughs> In which you unveil your, uh, your defense. I suppose debating is quite similar to... Uh, in that sense you'd say so but i i think as much as we like to you know big up the pomp and circumstance of it we 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 don't do anything significant <laughs> nothing major is uh is discussed you say that the last oh, to be fair the last debate that i've i judge for a competition was literally just they changed some names but it was essentially just should palpatine take on an apprentice yeah well you've been to themed ones before like yeah. the star wars ones etc so i'm not surprised but uh yeah, well, as we alluded to there anyway, Craig, at the top, we talk about movies well with watching Spike Duds along the way. So just to uh, tease the audience at home, do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching? Very much like the impact this had on the actual corporations being sued, this was a big hit. Well, uh, we'll soon find out why Craig thinks that is and what the rest of us might think. Uh, but for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode, Craig, can you just recap us on what we're watching and how we came to choose this film? So because of my eternal outrage at the amount of films that we had to watch, uh, culminating in last, in last episode's Frenzy where, frankly, women were just being discarded left, right and centre. I wanted one where we had a strong protagonist at the start, who happened to be a woman, and because of Dai's victory in the endgame, talking specifically about translating badly explained movie plots, he decided that instead of going with his incredibly interesting but frankly hard-to-find film Tiger Bay, he decided to opt for my option, which was Aaron Brockovich. Yes, we will put tiger bay into our kind of like box of like potentials in the future if it's like randomly drawn but uh yeah aaron brockovich was a lot easier to to, yeah. to source at this time of year but yeah we'll uh 
We look forward to discussing Erin Brockovich from 2000 and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrate chosen films for all time. But before all of that, we're not alone in discussing this film today, so we are thrilled to introduce a new guest joining us on Well Good Movies today to discuss today's film and join us for our crazy antics. So please welcome Jasmine Valentine, editor and film journalist. Hello, Jasmine. Hello. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's, uh, oh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much, especially when it is a very warm, stuffy day recorded today, so it's even more appreciated <laughs> that you're in like a closed <laughs> We've room. We've literally picked the worst day in England, in the UK to do this, but you know, persevere for the greater good and all that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be, well, to be fair, I'm at a concert tomorrow, so I'm <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to go down. So uh, I don't know why you're looking for sympathy from us. <laughs> well, just think it could be worse. Just think about what I'll- it could be worse. We could be trying to record a podcast when you're at a concert. <laughs> just you screaming over Dakota like, guys, this is what I thought of the film. <laughs> just as in like, imagine what I'll be feeling if you're feeling like warm and stuffy tonight what it's going to be like tomorrow so jasmine uh, as i mentioned there you are an editor and film journalist so if you could just uh, introduce yourself what do you do and uh, how you're involved in the worlds of film yeah of course um so i am a tv editor at film hounds magazine shout out film hounds if any of you guys are listening so i've only been uh, in entertainment land for a less than a year I think I wrote my first ever piece last October when London Film Festival kicked off and then I didn't start working with other publications until January this year so everything's just sort of happened really quickly and here I am with lovely people like you and writing for great places that's awesome and uh, I guess in some ways shows the power of how things have changed within the last two years. Do you think that's something that would have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic? Is it kind of, because I guess in some ways journalists helped by having digital access to stuff, but did that also help you to pursue this as a career? Definitely. Like if it wasn't for Twitter, as an example, there is no way that I would have had like half the opportunities. There's no way I'd have met you guys (laughs) or seen your work as an example, but yeah. Like before the pandemic, I was kind of similar to you, actually, David, doing a, a script writing MA. So like the other side of writing and just sort of naturally fell into the more press journalism side after lockdowns and all of that stuff stopped happening. Yeah, it's a natural way in. I guess uh, you can easily say to people, I know my stuff because I've tried it myself. Or I've written because, it. I <laughs> because I was there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, um, and then, you know, so what are some of the publications that you've written for? I know, obviously you mentioned they're the ones that uh, you're editor for, but also you've had some recent success with some other big publications or some ones you hadn't written for. What are, what are some of the articles you've done with them? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I looked at my first ever like big uh, byline was looking at Bound, the Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly film and why it's like a fantastic queer Valentine's Day film. And I literally think that is still my favourite thing I've ever, ever written. But yeah, I've done a couple of things for Radio Times, Yahoo, Curzon Cinemas. So it's just all sort of kicked off at once, really. And shows the amount of different outlets there out there, like you were mentioning there about Twitter as well. And I was going to say that uh, there is the good side of Twitter in that sense. A lot of people, obviously, there's some very bad sides of it. But on the whole, I think film Twitter is, is generally, you know, 
pretty good but you know obviously that has its bad sides as well but as you said it's great for networking with different uh, people like yourself but yeah i've just been really lucky i think as well that literally every single person i've met has just been so willing to help and help get me to where i am now so yeah you know social media isn't all bad <laughs> Do you know what? Like the first film, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this because I think if I was to say it to like serious film people now, they'd just go, oh, come on, grow up. <laughs> but the one of my all-time favourites has always been Mean Girls, Tina Fey's Mean Girls. I just think it's so clever. I mean, it's not aged incredibly well, but just the, the script and how timely it has it's remained... But there's also been like a couple of good remakes over the last year. Uh, the Tilda Swinton, Dakota Johnson, Suspiria remake. Oh my God, that just, I remember going to the cinema at like quarter past 11 at night <laughs> to be the first person to see it. And yeah, that that definitely changed the game for me for sure. Those are always the ones that stay with you. And then we've talked about it before. It's just like when you see the film or the actual trip itself is something that stays with you just as much as the film as well as the circumstance, which is a great thing about cinema going. But also, yeah, I think it's worth mentioning Mean Girls there because we were talking, uh, especially after, you know, we've had some quite sort of dark issues brought in in, in the last few episodes. We're talking about the need for like comedy and that kind of stuff as well. So I think there's, you know, not a whole in terms of balance, you know, when you look at other genres, there's maybe more good than bad. But sometimes I think with comedy, it's often very hit or miss. And But I think then that's why we should give more credit to films like Mean Girls and stuff, which manage to to pull off those witty scripts and those fun ideas. I would also say to to reassure you, I know several people who basically live and die by Mean Girls and just utterly, utterly worship it, to be honest. So don't do not feel bad at all. My people, excellent. Exactly. You were like, <laughs> if I was to say this about around serious film people, it's like, oh well, you're fine on this podcast. Then <laughs> Craig, Craig almost suggested Elmo in Grouchland last last episode instead of what we're discussing today. So it's not quite true. I almost I, I almost set an entire endgame about preschool films that nobody would have seen or heard of. But that one did come up. So yeah, experience all all the films, good or bad, and mentioning the bad. So we, you know, we've talked. Recently, Jasmine, about a lot of good films, about films we've watched recently, uh, what our guests have been watching. Obviously, a big theme of the show is what films should be remembered for all time. So people bring up their favorites like Mean Girls or ones like Blade Runner, Lord of the Rings. But uh, we thought we'd mix it up. And uh, we were wondering if there's any terrible films that come to your mind, maybe just some that, you know, everyone loves and you hate or just some experiences you had. Maybe the cinema stuff comes into it again. Is there anything that pops to mind? Do you know what? The first one that comes to mind, and it only came out about a month ago, but I feel like I am in the camp of people that just know, everybody loves this film. It's um, Benediction that came out like May or something. And literally everybody was like, oh, it's a brilliant piece of work. It's a brilliant piece of work. Look at how masterful it is. And I just was like, this is like, it's, it's like a historical and um, queer World War One." romance if you've not seen it and it comes across to me like you're in a GCSE history lesson you've got a substitute teacher you're making a massive racket with your mates and they've stuck a DVD on to keep you all quiet and it's one of them horrible like VHS from the, the 80s or something that's so cold 
<laughs> and I remember there's a couple of people when I when I sort of had that as my criticism, it was like, oh, Jasmine, that's that's too harsh. That's so unwarranted. It's like it was true. You're allowed not to like stuff sometimes. <laughs> No, definitely. And I think some people do give things too big a pass sometimes when they're just like, oh, but it does this. And it's like, a, you know, embracing that. And, you know, often you're just like, that's not necessarily a, a good thing. I know Craig will definitely agree with that. Some of the opinions he's had on the podcast in the past. I'm also just thinking of some things you've said last week. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, I was trying to defend it for the people who did like it or suggested it i guess but um we um look forward to uh discussing erin brockovich with you today uh jasmine uh were you happy to have this one suggested was this within your sort of wheelhouse of films that you enjoy yeah i definitely was but i also have a confession to make Mm. i have never seen it before don't worry um, neither are I. me so yeah it's one of, it's one of them ones where you're like oh yeah i really want to watch that and i'm sure i will one day mm. and then you just never get around to it so yeah I've, I've got thoughts i'm looking forward to sharing those yeah that was my next question to be fair was just have you seen it and i think yes it's good that none of us had seen it and i think for me it's definitely one because we're pretty good with like recent Oscar contenders, like within the past or 10 years or so. But when it's the previous winners, you're like, oh, well, that's a whole other hole to go down of like looking at the previous winners. So sometimes, like you said, it's just one that's on your radar, but you never get around to watching. So, yeah, it's been great that we've uh, had this chance and excuse to to watch it now. So and I'm, I'll be honest, there's only one major reason why I suggested this film above any other films that would have met the same criteria that I actually physically chose. It's, it's this film has been on my mind for years just because of the Lonely Island song Jack Sparrow. Oh yeah, because there's a line in it where they're trying to get him to choose a different film where just Michael Bolton starts singing, "Okay, now I'm a legal aid." Aaron Brockovich is my name, and since then I'm just like, okay, this is. I'm now just going to remember this for all of time. I need to see the film at some point. This was the perfect excuse. I'm glad you said that because I was like, oh, I, I vaguely knew about this film before. I knew it was something to do with being in the legal sector. She was famous. And I'm like, why did I know that? That song. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, um, let's go into today's movie then. So Erin Brockovich, which was out in 2000, uh, is about an unemployed single mother who becomes a legal assistant and almost single-handedly brings down a California power company accused of polluting a city's water supply. Uh, so this is directed by Steven Soderbergh. It is written by Susanna Grant. It stars Julia Roberts as Erin Brockovich. Uh, you've also got Dawn uh, Didawick, Albert Finney as Ed Masry. Uh, you've got Volante Rodriguez, uh, Conchata Farrell, who unfortunately passed away recently, who played Brenda. Uh, people will know her from so many Disney sitcoms and stuff of the past. And she was like in uh, a lot of like stuff we grew up with, especially. So I was happy to see her in it as well. And then you've got uh, Adila Barnes as Anna and you've got Aaron Eckhart as George. So yeah, quite a, a, a variety of different actors, some which you're like, I've seen them before, some which you know who are famous through uh, other big projects especially with julia roberts obviously this being one of her uh, big breakout films as she won an oscar for this film in general jasmine how are you with kind of like true story award contender films do you sort of usually enjoy them was this to you typical of those type of films or do you think that it is still sort of stood apart obviously we'll get into sort of main opinions later on but um 
But I guess this is a good sort of chance to talk about those type of films, which we don't always go into. I love the true story film. There is some times where you feel like, and I did feel like that at moments while I was watching Erin Brockovich, I'd rather be watching the true crime or version of true crime documentary of it rather than watching a fictionalised version. But then if you sort of compare it to like, let's take our last um, crop of nominees for Best Actress this year, if you're comparing it to like Lucy, Lucille Ball or Tammy Faye Baker, it's got more of an edge to it than even though they were embroiled in their own scandals, their own media storms, whatever they were, there's still a bit more bite. And I don't know whether that's just because... You know, we're watching this 22 years later and there was more leeway to perhaps experiment with that more, I'm not sure. Yeah, I thought that, that the fact that I don't know whether this sort of like led the way in terms of those type of films more that you had films like um, Joy, etc., which came out and saw were telling these stories of these like important women throughout history. And even though you have that with a lot of male characters, it seems to be a bigger thing, which I think is interesting, which is why I also bring up you know, actress as an award nominees because often you'll have the films which are up for best actress are op- often not up for best film. And then that's often not the case with best actor. Is Usually they overlap quite a, lo- quite a lot. So Jasmine, do you think that's because in terms of like the actress, the performance speaks for itself? Do you think it's almost a good thing? Or do you think that it's almost negative that these female stories are then some not, not worthy of being a film on itself. It's only just a film about that performance. I feel like if we're taking as much sort of political, social ideology out of it to the side and we're purely looking based on film craft, Julia Roberts and her portrayal of Erin Brockovich sings much more loudly than the rest of the the film's craft. So I'd say in this particular instance, it's justified. But yeah, whether whether other women would agree with that, I'm not too sure. But then again, her the Erin Brockovich that we see on the screen and real life Erin Brockovich, there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of pumped up, you know, dramatizations of her character. So there's that element to consider as well. Yeah, I guess it kind of speaks to an element of that they want these stories for like these great female characters and these true stories so it almost somewhat means that it's harder for it to be nominated in other categories whereas if you've got like a war film or something it's a lot more of a shoe-in for something like best sound or cinematography because you've got that ability to do it so like you said there's not as much scope with the craft I guess. I have another sort of theory and unfortunately this is sort of the Academy are at times slightly bigoted to what they like. And I think it's basically this. A lot of the stories where you get that effect happening, because I know you've talked about this for years, so I know this isn't just like a one-off thing. And this is something you genuinely care about. What I would say with the characters where they often put, uh, where this often happens is that the the female leads tend to be playing characters who are so, so completely different from what I think, you know, like a traditional mindset of women would often be. So like Aaron Brockovich was someone who was, like incredibly sort of sexualized, but in a sort of powerful dominant way, uh, even throughout the story itself, uh, throughout the story itself, like the character Aaron Brockovich highlighting that for very valid reasons insofar as uh, the actual Aaron Brockovich. But 
was very clear about saying like you know using a feminine charm to basically get what she wanted and i think with other characters say like you know i tonya you you literally following somebody who people are just like why are you idolizing this person she was a psychopath and other characters such as that i think they are ones where the entirety of the story is not necessarily one you'd want to physically place a lot of merit on necessarily or you just think oh the entire like the entire scenario is not something that we sort of want to condone or or we think is something that's actually you know groundbreaking in the right direction but you can't deny the performances so i think that's why a lot of films so one that's what i think happens to like a couple of films if they if in that particular vein two what producers might perceive happens with the academy so they might only push uh, for films to go in that particular direction anyway just so they just so they can say that well we got the oscar we got an oscar out of it so at least there wasn't wasn't wasted potential um so yeah i'm just happy to put it down to just like the academy being yeah tr- traditionalist idiots i'm happy to say is probably what's caused that to a certain degree i do wonder if Erin Brockovich had been involved in anything other than like a corporate lawsuit if she was involved in like a glamorous murder or like a drugs bust or whatever it was that would have fleshed out the concept in Academy Award land to sort of make it a contention for a best picture or something like that even when you're looking at a Netflix documentary or something like that, the big pharma or the big corporate, none of them ever play as well as like a sexy murder. Not that murders are sexy, but you know, it's it can be glamorized in that way. So it's sort of got its location against it, I think as well. And I guess that's happened to certain films before in the past as well, in which you've had things like Molly's Game, um, or I was thinking of like Dark Waters, a similar thing of like going through the whole like people have been poisoned and that kind of idea. Because even when you look at the IMDb, they're like, more like this. And it's like Pretty Woman, My Best Friend's Wedding, Notting Hill. I'm like, those are just Julia Roberts films. They're not necessarily like Erin Brockovich. I'm glad you mentioned Dark Waters, because when I was watching this, I, I just thought it's tragic how many films we've now had to have about real life corporations poisoning people and just thinking what's changed it's definitely a theme in america i think especially because again you've got so many areas of it which are just large plants and factories and deserts and water systems and things like that so yeah (laughs) but you know we learn about them in a lot of these like gripping stories etc and i think what was interesting about this one compared to a lot of other true story ones is that it's told from the point of view of somebody who just sees that upheaval and decides to do something about it and is kind of from like you know it's a rag to riches kind of story in that way it's not like dark waters in which he's already like a lawyer or even like spotlight which it's you know told from the point of view of the press in which they're like we're investigating this because we're journalists whereas this is it was interesting to see it from that kind of lens i guess yeah All right then, so rewind those cassettes and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So this week I've been scouring information about Aaron Brockovich to bring to you and obviously I think there's going to be a few interesting things given that this is a based on the true story film, one of my favourite genres of films uh, because often the behind the scenes that gives you a lot of interesting information. So this film to start off with was fairly groundbreaking for Julia Roberts' career. For her portrayal of Erin Brockovich, she became the first actress ever to win for a single role, an Academy Award, a BAFTA, a Critics' Choice Award, a Golden Globe, 
and a Screen Actors Guild Award. So you'd think that the original Erin Brockovich would be constantly in her mind when she's accepting these honours. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. She famously forgot to thank the real Erin Brockovich when accepting her Oscar. Uh, She quoted afterwards saying, It doesn't bring out the Albert Einstein moment that you hoped it would. Well, better luck next time, eh? As with many aspects of biopics, some aspects of real life were kept out for the sake of the story. Most crucially, in real life, when investigating uh, when investigating this case, Erin did herself get sick from cronium poisoning. And scenes of her in the hospital were shot, but the director, Steven Soderbergh, decided to leave them out. Otherwise, the film would be seen as too much as of Erin becoming a martyr. He said it was a tough call, but didn't want the film to become one of those movies. A, a choice which I think is probably for the best overall. And now on to the really interesting aspects of real life, because... Often with these sorts of films, uh, characters often can be uh, made up, uh, most famously in Patch Adams, where an entire love interest who was shot by a patient was just completely made up for the sake of the film. Uh, So people will notice that Aaron Eckhart gave us an engaging performance as biker boyfriend and non-compliant nanny, George. So the question is, did this character exist? Yes and no. So she did indeed have a biker boyfriend who took care of her kids, including after they broke up where he became a hired full-time live-in nanny for the kids, which was paid for all by the law firm. But the difference was that he wasn't called George. He was a Mexican called Jorge, aka the Spanish equivalent of George. However, things aren't on good terms with them now because Jorge teamed up with uh, her first ex-husband, Sean Brown, and the attorney, John Jeffrey Rayner, to try to sue her for $310,000, as well as, in order to try to get her to settle, threatened to smear her reputation as a parent. Erin's response? She called the police and got them arrested almost immediately. The lawyer in question even has been sent to prison and has been since barred from practicing law. Talk about I fought the law and the law won. Finally then, one of my favourite things about this film is that there are a couple of cameos from the real-life cases involved in the actual film itself. So, for example, the original Ed Maisry and Erin Brockovich do appear in the film. So in the diner scene towards the beginning of the film, there's a shot where you can see uh, the real Ed Maisry sat in the booth behind Julia Roberts's Erin Brockovich, just reading a newspaper as her kids are ordering burgers. And the real Erin Brockovich is the waitress taking their order, And if you get a close look at her name badge, you'll see that her name in the film is Julia. So they've had a bit of an identity swap over there. So there's one final thing that I want to bring up, but I'm going to save that as a treat for later because it pertails to our end game. So yeah, that is VHS Corner for now. Awesome. Some very interesting stuff there. Uh, Jasmine, any any particular ones stand out to you or uh, the shock to you? Do you know, I was going to, ask about whether does it say whether Erin Brockovich was there with Julia Roberts when she won Best Actress because I think you can always tell if a a biopic portrayal has gone down well if they're there with them like Sissy Spacek when uh, she did Loretta Lynn Coalminer's daughter Loretta was there the Marsha Clark Sarah Paulson with when they did the OJ Simpson stuff Marsha Clark was there so it's always like a really you can really tell if something hasn't gone well if they've got nothing to do so with it. <laughs> I haven't found out I haven't found out if she was physically there but I get the feeling that she probably was 
at the point where you're willing to be involved in the production of the film itself, it seems a bit weird that you then sort of go on to, you know, completely uh, disregard it afterwards. I'm staring directly into your eyes, James Corden and Rebel Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I think she probably was uh, was there because, I mean, given how consistent the sort of performance train was going insofar as the awards, it, it seems like the sort of thing that she would probably be there alongside uh, all of the other producers including Danny DeVito, who I had no idea for a while was involved in this film. Oh my God, Danny DeVito, I love your work. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Take it back to me, girls, for a second. <laughs> it's, all, it's all full circle. Uh, yeah, no, and I feel as if the cut, you know, like the cut to, you know, mother crying or like person in the audience thing at the Oscars. I feel, I don't know why I just get a sense that that was a thing that they might've cut to the real Aaron Brockovich. I don't know. I might just be imagining that, but if she wasn't mentioned. I mean, if it was saying that she famously forgot her, presumably that's what, have, what might've happened. Yeah, the yeah. fact they cut, cut her and she's just there like, yeah, exactly. My question to you, David is, and I, I guess it's actually a question to both of you. The decision to cut out Erin actually getting sick, uh, do we think it was a pro or a con for the film? Well, it was something that crossed my mind because when she had like flu and everything during the yeah. film, I assume that's what then they sort of reconned it to once they cut that bit out of the film. I was like, oh God, is she actually getting sick herself? And I kind of did sort of not so much roll my eyes because I guess yeah. that did happen in real life, but in terms of like, oh, we're going down this route or this is going to be awkward, etc. Um because I guess it's kind of hard not to take that route because again, film and real life are very different in the way that things like that can play out. So I think it'd yeah. be very hard to kind of do it naturally, if you go, I mean, because, well, there has been some good examples, I think, in the past of films which have kind of like suggested something but not made it into the cliche thing that it could be. So they could just do it through her looking at a doctor's note or something like that. But, but yeah, I think ultimately for the story they're telling, I'm glad that they didn't because as well, they put so much emphasis on the families. Yeah. And again, that, that is real, you know, to me, a lot of people who say that they're more interested in the, the real life story. And definitely that is the case for me sometimes as well, in which I'll watch something, come away after it, like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Look it up. Oh, it didn't happen. And that is always disappointing. But I think that there are a few examples and a few cases in which I can be like, I can understand why you've done that in this circumstance, because again, like you said, Jasmine, at the end of the day, if I wanted to see the true life version of something, I would go watch the documentary. I think when you are doing something in a kind of narrative, it does give you a lot of free play in some ways. I don't think obviously you should like make up lies about a person or anything like that. Obviously, like one that springs to mind is like Titanic, where the guy who saw like went on the boat and the family were very angry that he was made out that, uh, you know, he uh, pretended to be a woman and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that can turn into some messy messy territory. But I think, again, ultimately you are telling a narrative story. um, And I think it's whatever works for that story. If you want real life, go to the documentary. But I don't know if you agree, Jasmine. I do to a certain extent. Like I get the the barter argument because if we're doing female empowerment angle, that is going to make a dent in that. However, I feel like the decision to not show her a sickness is more to do with the fact, even though that we're talking about something that's not necessarily pretty or nice to deal with, you know, like corporate cases, people getting really, really sick and like legal jargon and a woman, a working class woman, she's still attractive. Like if you see pictures of Erin Brockovich, she did dress like that. She didn't look like that. 
but it was very toned down compared to like the cherry corsets that Julia Roberts throws. She still needs to look like an attractive, sexy leading woman. And I feel like they've they've played quite surface level. Again, that speaks to the time. I think if you were to make it now, she'd be a bit more gritty, a bit more grubby, and you'd probably be able to put the the actual truth a bit more in. So I, I guess this is probably going to be like an overarching thing with me. But um, yeah, it does like it's got that Hollywood polish on it for sure. Jasmine, what is your overall thoughts of this film? Like you said earlier, you had never seen it before. What did you come out thinking? What What is your opinion? My first thought was that I was expecting to love it. Like as, you know, we're in our, we're in our hot girl era, we're in our feminist era, feminist for all era. Yes, she's a working class woman. She's speaking for the people. This is exactly what we want to see on screen. But I didn't love it. I liked it, but I, it just didn't hit. And I still don't know if I know exactly why it didn't. But there was just something missing for me. Again, it's very much we're here for Julia Roberts. There is very, there's that vibe and to an extent you can't get past it. But there's there is a lot of a lot of interesting social comments going on in the film. But then I do find myself often asking that question, like, eh, well, that was you know, we're 22, 22 years ago, two thousand was now. That is ridiculous. But um, yeah, you do sort of almost give it the excuse of, oh, well, it was in two thousand, which is just like really annoying. But um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to lot to unpack in it. Yeah, I think it depends on the film as well, isn't it? Sometimes if you're watching something that's like literally black and white or something like that, or it was made in the 50s, you can more switch your mind to that because it's very easily, you know, the visual aesthetic is so different that you, you understand the extreme differences. But with something that's like not too long ago, you're still expecting some of the same sort of standards. And when it doesn't, when you have like sort of like, you know, bad sort of sexist uh jokes or like weird sort of references and stuff which were again even sometimes in some cases like five six years ago um then you're like oh you know like it, it takes you by surprise that you're like oh yeah i forgot that that was a thing you know because you've just we've just got so used to not having that and it's because i guess that the film look you know looks so much similar to what we are experiencing now um so yeah i think that is a big factor when you just go into any film is that element of expectation what you're going to get from it for me it very much was a kind of like i knew i was getting like this strong performance um and i guess i suppose based on the reason you chose it craig i knew that obviously it was going to be this big sort of like feminist angle to it but i didn't know if it was going to go down the sort of positive or negative route of them as a person you know in terms of like the way we were talking earlier about i, I tonya etc i didn't know if we were like meant to like this character or not when before going into it so i didn't have as much expectation on it in that sense but like you jasmine i didn't come away being like oh my god my life's changed i love this film kind of thing i very much do respect it i'm glad i saw it it was really good um and, I, and there's a lot to unpack like you said i think that there's some great craft there some great details and some as i mentioned earlier great examples of how this film has done true story writing and direction and character work a lot better than a lot of films out there and that's why i think that in some ways it's, it's sad that it's not kind of brought up more 
um, also referenced more. But at the same time, I can understand it's, again, fallen into that trap of, you know, it's about Julia Roberts. It's about that performance. And the fact that I guess we haven't seen Steven Soderbergh for quite a few years also kind of speaks to the fact that it's not kind of like this big name director as much as it was a few years ago. What I would say is I think it's okay to to enjoy films on the basis of like a single performance. So what I often enjoy about a lot of biopic films is just the opportunity to just watch a film essentially just be a character piece for an, uh, for an actor or actress. Um, I thought this about several films. I thought this about like, is it Darkest Hour? The Ch- uh, Churchill? Churchill yeah. yeah. I thought that about like Gary Oldman in that role. I thought it about various different roles and I thought it about you. I, I just think it's worth noting and I will say it as many times as I have to. I, I loved Julia Roberts' performance in this. Just because I think I think the writing of her, especially insofar as the, the sort of snappy conversations, I think a lot of them were incredibly well crafted. And there were just a lot of times where I was quite taken aback and laughing quite, quite manically at some of the things that she was saying. Um, I think probably one of my favorite exchanges was when they go to the big law firm and, um, and she's just given the entire sort of address of here's the phone number, here's the family, et cetera, et cetera, trying to prove the point that she just memorizes all of these people's details. And then that, okay, I think we've set up on the wrong foot. It's like, yeah, that happens a lot. That's why you have two left feet and ugly fucking shoes. I mean, that was the Oscar. Yeah. I can imagine like Julia Roberts' face comes up, they play the clip, it's that clip. That is the couple of minutes that got her that Oscar for sure. Yeah. That and also, I think also the lame-ass offer uh, scene definitely plays up for it as well especially because the end of that scene of uh we've shipped in your water a special it comes from the it comes from the pool from uh what's the place called pagini 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 or something like that isn't it? oh you're on about the company or that no. oh no sorry the hickney hickney i'm sorry pg and e yeah i know but like every time they said it they were like PG and E. Yeah, I know, but it just sounded like they were saying Pagini. I was like, David, you trying to invent like Pokemon names? <laughs> that was just like a cute nickname for the company. <laughs> no, but yeah. So I think just I think in terms of just an absolute memorable performance, and I appreciate the film purely for that, especially considering. And this is where I've sort of I've read up criticism of this film, and some of it I think is quite valid. I think some of the things that you guys are likely to say are quite valid. The only thing I've read, which I didn't think was valid was from a well-respected reviewer uh, in Roger, Roger Ebert. One, the most respected, the probably. Most <laughs> respected. Um, who gave this film a two out of five, which I think is incredibly incorrect uh, on the basis of he thought the character development was shallow. And I just think he misses the point of what this, of what this story was actually trying to do. So yeah, in terms of aspects like that, I think it is very much a here is a very powerful, very powerful driven character. Let's just watch her work and see everyone sort of bend around her. So I can imagine that that always does produce a film that say without her sort of there are elements where you just think of like waning. I think there are definitely points in which aspects of the story just move a bit too quickly and just sort of gloss over things that you probably shouldn't gloss over. But for me, it is just that central performance just does drive everything. And I'm willing to respect the film on that performance alone if I have to. Yeah, I think for me as well, performance wise, and that comes down, I think, to the expectation element is that for me, as I said earlier, I I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. And the first scene when she's just like, I'll do any job and this kind of stuff, I was like, okay, we're going down this territory. So I didn't know if we were going down the more kind of like, 
eyes of Tammy Faye, kind of like, you know, I'm this big character, I'm this bold, like emblematic sort of symbol, um, and I'm sort of embodying like, you know, you know, this type of woman, etc. But then I think once all the court stuff starts happening, I was like, oh, okay, no, this is more of a realistic kind of scaled down version. I think compared to something like Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook, in which again, that's like another Oscar winning sort of performance and you go into it and again, she's sort of playing this like very like bold um, character and she's like having a lot of these like big like outbursts and emotional moments, etc. And it kind of gives you what you expect in terms of that. So I suppose... And, and similar, I guess, if you're expecting like, you know, this big like sort of female, female heroine or anything like that, that, that that sort of is giving the kind of feminist vibes that you might be, you know, you might be expecting. And I didn't know whether we were going to get that as well. So the fact that it focused on so many of the characters around her as much, I think I was like respecting that it was kind of emboldening her character by how she is affecting other people around her. I think that's where sometimes those kind of approaches can sometimes ring untrue or just come across as like a bit too chauvinistic in which they're like look how great i am look how much like in your face i am in which i went like no this is about like how she's affecting everyone else around her and it's sort of like the small subtle differences with her that makes her different but not like in a kind of like oh look at her you can see her a mile away kind of aspect it's like you said jasmine even though she's dressed more provocatively than the actual uh erin brockovich herself I, I still at least think it wasn't done in a kind of like cartoonish way or like too vibrant or anything like that. So I kind of respected and that's what I lo- most loved about the film was just how the film was told through her eyes. But again, it wasn't in a very much like, here's my big emotional story. It's just you're the following this woman. It's just completely told alongside her, which I really liked. I just liked that kind of like way that they approached the script. Well, it's interesting you were saying that, and I don't feel like I'm just saying this because I've come from a script writing background, but I felt like every single plot point act sort of journey narrative structure, you could guess a mile off. So in that sense, it's very much like the woman's, like a woman's woman's film, if that makes sense. There's, there still has to be that sort of will she get the guy, won't she? In like the, and then the things going on at work, like if you think of something like nine to five, it's got that kind of vibe with the boss. Um, and that is, it's satisfying, it's not satisfying because I almost like the fact, because she is so unpredictable as a woman, I like that you have comfort in the fact where you, that you know where you are with those beats of the story, but that's equally quite, frustrating when you again watching this in hindsight probably doesn't help in that way but you know it could go so much further there's so much more mileage there and if you know if I was behind the camera this would look completely different but yeah so it's there's there's pros and cons but the supporting characters I think again George is probably quite timely because he starts off with this very like, oh, you know, like I'm Mr. Nice Guy. I, I'm listening to your emotions. Look, I'm taking care of your needs. And then very, you know, over the course of the runtime, that switches to complete emasculation. So that has aged very, very well because we're, in terms of sort of film and TV now, we're only really starting to explore, not always amazingly, like if you take Alex Garland's Men, myriad of problems with that but it's addressing the same sort of things and now we're just getting into really exploring that in the depths but yeah and I like I like um 
what's his name? Lead lawyer guy? Him. I did think he was a nice, yeah. He was a nice bit of comic relief. He was a great partner for Brockovich to bounce off of. So, so he's one of my favorite aspects of this as well, because I think he comes in where you don't expect him to almost become the co-star either. You know, I kind of saw him at the beginning, like, oh, is this just going to be this lawyer who kind of inspires her or kind of like she's angry at and then when she gets the job off him you know you're kind of like okay maybe it's just this all like frustrates the job off him or like demands the job off him (laughs) so when um when that happens you think like okay is this going to be again played for laughs or he's just gonna always be there kind of like annoyed by it but yeah i loved how we got to sort see him more i love the performance that we get from um albert finney um it's just he represents like a very specific like American old man in some ways. And I love the way that he, he kind of does represent that kind of like small law firm in a, in a good way as well. Sometimes I think it's easy for these films. I mentioned Spotlight earlier, as, you know, as much as I love that film, you know, you are kind of watching it being like, OK, well, you are this like massive newspaper. Whereas like this, again, as I said earlier, is more rag, rags to riches in the sense of, you know, like, wow, you know, as he says, you know, David and that other guy, <laughs> which, uh, by the way, I loved the touch at the end when he was on that magazine and he yeah. says like, you know, uh, versus Goliath, etc. I was just like that, that. That was a nice touch. Um, and I also loved how he says, yeah, think about it as like David and that other guy and all of his family. And his his entire family, yeah. He has some fantastic lines. I think that's what helps him really. I also did say to David before this, because I got here just as David was finishing watching the film. And I was just... And the the end scene where he uh, he gives the bonus check and he gives a prelude of... Now, it's not the number you were expecting, because I thought that was in... um, I thought about it and the original offer you made was inappropriate. And just watching the entire tirade, I was just sat there. And then when it got to the, I thought it hands the check, she sees it. I thought it was inappropriate. So I increased it. And I was just, I just went to David in that pause. And now comes my favorite line of the film, which is the, which is the beautiful callback to, um, uh, do you lawyers learn how to, uh, how to say sorry, uh, learn how to apologize because you suck at it with the, do they, uh, do they teach you in uh, prom school how to say sorry? Cause you suck at it. I was like, and that shows why this was this entire film was about your character development, my friend. Take that, Ebert. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed his performance. And just the fact that, you know, he was the sort of very like shaky guy throughout. And then just seeing how confident he then becomes once he actually realizes he can deal with the big leagues, especially in that scene where they hand over all of the um all of the signatures and hand over the incriminating documents. Just he was there quipping alongside Aaron just to the same extent. It's just great to see. He, he does a good job at, like, pacing himself throughout. Well, equally, there's the there's the sort of parallel journey of when he starts working with Erin, he said that her asking for what we now know is her worth, she's, you know, trying to mar- marry her worth with her own, you know, what she's bringing to the... He calls it extortion. And his journey from learning what a woman's worth is, is equally as interesting I think because that last scene is almost like okay well we could be straying into the territory here here we are watching a woman right at the last hurdle she's having a wobbly about not being paid her worth and she's greedy she's we could have fallen into so many different tropes there and just narrowly skirted over it 
So again, that was... See, what I saw with that scene was the idea of even after all of this, she still thinks that patriarchal structures are just going to screw her over anyway. Yeah. Um, Which I think is sadly still uh, true. That's what just made that like scene just more meaningful, especially considering that. Because can anyone actually remember what the original agreed upon bonus was going to be? I don't think it was said. Because I would have liked to have known that, just so we know the exact scale up of how much two million dollars actually was. Yeah, but. that's true. I love how many parallels and just different moments there are throughout this. Like you said, Jasmine, that kind of show the growth of their characters, um, and they saw pl- you know place them again. In it's not done too often, as you said. There are moments in this film in which you're like, okay, I know how this is going to play out. I know what's going to happen here, but um, I never felt that there was a moment with their relationship in which you kind of knew what was about to happen or you knew that like oh this scene is just here for this specific purpose it's kind of like they all appear quite natural so as you were saying craig i like how they kind of like naturally evolve the character i I like how you bring his kind of stakes into it he's saying he's gonna have to remortgage his house about how much money he's having to put into it and that he shows his own insecurities by saying that that other guy is you know better than him and he's like you know they can tear me apart i think a, film, uh, a scene like the town hall scene is quite a good one in which you see him kind of struggling to hold the room almost and then kind of like galvanize the people in a way. I think that's a good example of it. But also just his interactions with uh, Erin. I think the fact that early on in the film, if she was to like come to like the office door, like he would have been like, go away, you need to leave or something like that. Um, or as you see, you know see early in the film, he's like, I thought you just you know, left work for the week. I didn't think that you were... Off enjoying yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that contrasted to later when, you know, she arrives and like, he's like, we need to hold this meeting and he like goes and speaks to her and there's many times in which he says, you know, we need her opinion on this or like, you need to say what you think, especially when it comes to that scene where the guy reveals that he burnt papers for them in which she like rings him up and is just like, I need your advice on this. And the fact that he kind of like has that, confidence in her to like tell her what to do and he's like he knows her strengths and he knows what she can do um so i i really enjoyed that kind of growth from him and the scene you mentioned earlier craig is a great example of him becoming more funny as well i you know i love the you know some of the comedic moments you have in there the scene where they go into the boardroom with the the two other colleagues yeah they just break just randomly bring out two more people's so like i need you in jackets now <laughs> yeah that that was really fun um as an aside um you know the scene you mentioned with regards to the the guy in the bar approaching about the papers you know when i watch films i make joke scenarios in my head i'm so glad that erin just actually said the joke that was in my head when she was yeah. where she was like it's like, I didn't know if this guy was going to kill me or just, I was like, oh my God, she made, she made the realization. Thank God. Yeah. I thought they did build that up quite well. I don't know if you, what you thought of it, Jasmine, or did you feel that was kind of predictable? But I was kind of like, oh, this guy's a bit creepy. I hope this again, isn't going to be one of those things. She makes a bad decision or something. I thought they, they did introduce that into the script quite in, in the way that, like you said, that you, you were like Aaron, you're like, oh, that's not what I expected at all. No, I, I, I think it matched it matched pretty well so i'd agree with you that david yeah that um i was just looking at like the quotes there that was one of my favorite ed masery scenes it's just the like um didn't you hear they have 28 billion at their disposal so you think i made a money what are you yelling at me for because i'm pissed off good and just throws down tie F- you F- you back i really hate you sometimes i really do oh you love me and again i was like that's such a great example of their relationship yeah i was laughing quite mad at that one (laughs) 
so yeah that's when i really got on board with their relationship the the character which i think it is right what you said jasmine i think the aaron eckhart's character is has actually aged well in the sense that you know he shows his emotions etc i don't have as much of an issue with him in the writing but i thought that the way they kind of like dress the character i found it very hard to get on board with him in terms of like he looked very like comedic to me in the first scene i was like i don't know again if it's because i've seen aaron eckhart like dressed more seriously but i was just like why have you dressed him up as like a biker with like a weird but you know the fact he had the um, american bandana on like he's literally i was like that to me seems so 2000s but even in the 2000s i think that would have just been goofy i just found him a bit it was going from that to when he was then sat there with reading glasses i think for me that's where the sort of comedic element sort of really came through yeah like i'm fine with if you want to have that character like the biker guy which has tattoos and like a ponytail but cast somebody like that like a woody harrelson or somebody like i think he would have been too distracting but somebody who genuinely looks like that in real life to me he just looked like i'm this muscle good looking brad pitt kind of guy who's been dressed up like this i was like i didn't buy for a second that he was an actual biker to be honest I'm not sure if I agree with you on that one, to be honest, David, but I also don't know what I can say to change your mind. Yeah, I don't I don't think I had an issue with it. If you're thinking of where we are in the States and you're thinking of like what New York and L.A. was like, they're very on the pulse when you're like, you know, watching a film about L.A. in 2000. They're going to be really up to date. But then you look at like the more rural areas and they'll they'll age it a bit. So it sort of makes sense. And then you think of, well, this guy probably will be into like Guns N' Roses still. And, you know, like that sort of what we come to know to be quite cartoony element of a biker sort of does make sense. So I didn't have too much of an issue with it. Yeah, I think it's like maybe it's just, again, some of the like, I think the fact that sometimes it was like he had just a completely clean bandana. I think if they just like roughed him up, made it look a bit more realistic or just the fact that, again, even if it was just a different actor, like playing somebody who just looked like genuinely hairy, it might have helped. I but. think it didn't help the fact that we only ever see him on his bike once properly. Mm. Yeah. Um, so he probably was intending to get all roughed up, but then didn't really have the chance because he became himself domesticated. But I, I thought he had a great relationship with the kids. And one of my favorite scenes, and that goes like you were saying before, but like that was the Oscar there as well is that scene where she's in the car and he's talking about the baby's first word with yeah. Bill. I thought he did a fantastic job of explaining that story and making that realistic. But just her reaction as well, I really felt that. And I was like, this is again against what Roger Ebert is saying, is showing her growth as well. You have that with her son later on in which she's able to kind of, you know, almost like apologize in a way for the way that she hasn't been there. He then apologizes to her in, in a sense. So I think that they do all have arcs and they all do like learn and change yeah. off of each other. Um, and that was a great moment for her, I think, in which she realized what the impact of this is, is having on her life. The major other thing that got me, and I think especially towards the, the end of the film, is the lady that you do get the sort of like illness yeah, storyline with the most of. So you get it a bit with that child. But when you first meet her, and I was thinking in myself, I was just like, wow, this she was literally like a guardian angel for this woman. I think she says it later on that she comes into her life in that way. And again, whether that's completely true or not, but that, you know, those do happen in life and that, you know, that she 
was able to be given that. I think I'm always a sucker for people who get things when they don't ask for it or search for it. Whenever I watch them in like Undercover Boss and they're like, you're just a really nice human being. Here's like a house. I'm always just like, oh, you know, because it's not something that they've like applied for or that they've gone and asked for. So when her reaction then was just like, oh my God, I don't know how much, you know, I can't even envision that much money. It was just really gratifying. That's both really sweet, but also says some really worrying things about you, David. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> well, he's just like, oh, I'm a sucker for people who get things who aren't asked for it. You just look at like a group of protesters on the street being like, <sighs> no, I just mean, why it. didn't you just go and do nothing and wait for somebody to come and give it to you? God damn it. I mean, I'm a sucker for like getting emotional, like welling up or crying because like when they're crying about it, if somebody again was like given an award or something. I love how you feel the need to justify yourself against this joke. I will say that the, I can't remember the name of the child, but the one child who was, uh, who had like the significant cancer and just went, the way they sort of focus in on her stare as well, that, that got me. Yeah. And even just the way that they're interacting, as you guys were saying, like, again, that's the Oscars when, uh, Julia Roberts is able to go like, oh, she'll be there. Like, you know, like go into the dance, you know, I can imagine her in a dress and just, again, that was played so naturally. And even just the parents as well, they were playing it really well being like, oh yeah, definitely. There was no kind of cheese there. Yeah. It all come across as genuine. And you even watching that performance, like she means every word of that. There's no just disingenuous aspect to her, especially obviously then when you have a character later, like that very like stoic lawyer woman, who's very much the opposite to her. If she said something like that, you would be like, you don't care. You don't, you don't care about this girl. I love how instantly everyone hated that lawyer. <laughs> Just ringing their up being like, no, nah, we're, we're done. We don't trust her. <laughs> it's like, Christ. What better way to be told you were bad at your job? <laughs> She's not willing to, to trudge through the mud on the farm. <laughs> uh, any other standouts for you, uh, Jasmine, in terms of uh, characters or story aspects or scenes? Well, I mean, just going off what you were saying there, the fact that people are willing to talk to Erin, it's that matching of working class of working class and I was just sitting here trying to think have we ever before this point in cinematic history seen a working class woman taking the motherhood aspect out of it for a second because I have different thoughts on that but have we ever seen a working class woman so positively portrayed before even in terms of giving back to the community and she doesn't have to change her identity we're accepting her to a degree for what she is unlike like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman where she you know goes back into the shop and is completely changed and that's when she's accepted mm. yeah definitely yeah I think that that aspect of it, it, it reminded me of kind of like Little Miss Sunshine or something, which we've discussed before, again, of like taking that kind of natural approach, not being too on the nose about it, being about how that character affects the people around them. They're the ones with the dramas, the hangups. She's the one that's kind of just like holding it all on her shoulders kind of aspect, which I thought was was really powerful. My One of my main issues with, I don't know, just the film existing, I guess, is that this film is yet another example of the fact that we are never, ever going to stop demonising working mums, single working mums. And this, I mean, the film's trying to tackle a lot. And if you tackle everything, you're not going to do everything justice. So I understand that you have to, you know, let some things go by the by. But the fact that she is a single working mother is a huge, huge element of this film. And I'm not sure... Again, because probably we're in 2000 society, we're not equipped. We don't have the 
the le- like lexicon language of things like gaslighting, none of that stuff exists yet. So there's only so far forward we can move. But it, that, it just doesn't sit comfortably with me that it's just, yeah, oh no, another film where she, yeah, she gets the two million, but she's still like, nobody's completely at ease with the fact that she's bringing her kids into work, that she's, there's no like obvious childcare benefits for her. I mean, he does say to go and hire the nanny, but in terms of like a working environment, that's very much, you keep that at home, you keep that as your own business. So from that aspect, it's quite annoying. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things as well where as much as, we, as, as, much as a lot of this conversation has been prefaced with the idea of we are like 20, 20 plus years on from it, I think it's just one of those, I think it's just one of those things where the film basically had to make a, uh, make a decision of like the exact focus. And I think, unfortunately, the main focus they were just going to focus on was just, yes, people, yes, people are like not fully on board with the entire mother thing. But at the end of the day, she achieved such high results. You just have to get on with it. And I think this is where I'm, I am like sort of my forgiving mindset of films from such a long time ago is, which is just if it's at least somewhat in the right direction for the time, I'll give it the pass. But if it's something made now and it's uh, suffers the same hangups, that's where I'm a lot more, that's where I'm a lot more critical. So I agree with you. That is the stance that I, I want the idea of just, you know, being able to be a mother deal, uh, juggling all those things and all aspects of their life being respected. If it can't be the case because of how long ago it was, then I'm just willing to take something which isn't egregiously offensive Hence why I'm a lot more comfortable with this film than I have been in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then is there anything lastly you would say about this, Jasmine, in terms of standout scenes or any other thoughts uh, you haven't uh, got to mention yet? Just one. And I. this is something that I had to check if there was something wrong with how I was watching it. I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but especially in the first third of the film, it's like yellow scale. It's it's very interesting that what we were saying, the George to Jorge um, swap around, but like as she's like forking her kids off to different strangers and she's this no gooder that drives a clapped out car, there's that like yellow uh, lens that they give to you know the Americans give to places that they want to see them as second class citizens um, and then by the end of the film it's all lovely and bright when they're in the new uh, office and that that um, the haze is just completely gone it was one of the first things I noticed about the film uh, to the point where I had to check because sometimes if you're watching things on Netflix and stuff the older films they'll just automatically put it with like a a little, like a Dolby lens or whatever where it's not they're, they're adding that afterwards but no it wasn't that um so that I thought was a very interesting comment that you know there's so much like in the news at the moment about people adding adding a kind of yellowish filter to what that means politically and and we're literally seeing that mirrored with her character journey of becoming accepted to a certain degree so whether that's right or wrong, up for debate, but interesting to note. Yeah, and interesting, I guess, that I kind of like acknowledged it, but almost thought like, oh yeah, this is the given thing. This is like, you know, oh, we're in LA or we're in this place and they've kind of given this sort of tinge. and like, Yeah, I, I, I didn't think about it, so I feel slightly bad. <laughs> You're part of the problem, Craig. <laughs> <No>. After <laughs> half the things I've said, I don't think that can be the reaction. Um, 
yeah no i, I but I, I, yeah i see what you mean jasmine and it, it is typical of like, like oh everything is like bright and nice at the end whereas again some films will do it of like oh this is the stylistic choice or this is the kind of look that they go in for but this film seems to it's also quite does it a bit with the kind of filming approach as well sometimes it seems kind of almost documentary-esque in the sense of like certain characters are sort of saying things away from mics and it kind of seems like they're sort of documenting them other times things seem quite like staged and sort of professionally filmed and i'm like are we doing a kind of you know handheld a feel you know like we're there with them or we doing a kind of like this is the law film and like it's all sort of professionally shot so sometimes i didn't always find it consistent in that way but i kind of respected the kind of more like grounded feel that it generally had and i suppose again steven soderbergh whether he has like a a specific style it'd be hard to say you know he has worked on like you know behind the cabalara and logan lucky i suppose was like the last big film he's done but again i suppose all of those are kind of known more for their characters and the stories they're telling rather than anything like visuals or technical aspects okay so uh, we now go to our final part of our discussion which is does Erin Brockovich deserve to be remembered for all time and gain the honour of a place in our movie vault? So, Craig, you uh, chose this film last time, so I'll go to you first. Like I said, I think for a lot of the films we put in the movie vault, I think there is often an aspect of what does this film represent? Mm. And I think the way I see this view is uh, film is a representation of, you know, films where basically it is a, a star a star standout performance um, and how the rest of the film sort of reacts to that. And I think given just how successful Julia Roberts' performance actually was in this, and I think how how memorable it is, even within limited pop culture, I think has, you know, referenced to the su- such degree as it has. Limited been. pop culture, Lonely Island songs. There probably are other references. So my argument would be like, this isn't the greatest film. I acknowledge that. Um, I, I see this as a, as a whole, as a, as a good film, not like one of the great films, but I think it has one of the great performances. So for me, I would say yes. Um, I could go one, two ways with this again. I really enjoyed it. So I'll go to you, Jasmine. What, what do you think? That is such a difficult question. I think listening to myself talk about it to you, I've come out with most of what I've said about the film is very negative. And I, I feel like a terrible, like, feminist, terrible woman to say that I don't think it should be. If I'm thinking about it, all the cinema we have now, and I'm thinking about it in terms of, right, what best represents women's issues? What best represents women's plights? I'm never going to come back to old Erin Brockovich. It's almost as if Erin Brockovich herself, if we, there was a magic bolt for people, she should be in there and not the film. Because so much of it hinges on Julia Roberts that for me that if we're looking at what the film represents, I think there are too many films that do it better. So even though it was iconic and yay, great at the time, does it deserve to be in there? If we're being really harsh and like there's minimal breathing space in this little vault, I'm going to say no. I'd point out he's got a lot of crap in this vault. Um (gasps) Spring cleaning time. <laughs> <laughs> we did have that once, but then sometimes again, we're talking about it in terms of like, does it represent bad stuff or, you know, because, you know, or how well remembered is it? Is it, you know, in there for nostalgia? And 
Yeah, I don't know. I just think all the aspects that we are talking about, I, you know, I can't help but agree with Jasmine in some ways that, again, I, I do love this film. And I love a lot of what it does, but does it do it better than other stuff? I'm not sure. And I think if you go from an aspect of Julia Roberts's performance is really good, I think, yes, like you said, Jasmine, there's so many important issues that are brought up through this film. But then do I think that that's unique to this film or do I think that you would have to say you have to go to this to, to show that? I'm not sure that I would. I'm not sure if it is the go-to film for that. And again, I, you know, I, I don't always think as we've kind of admitted there that it should be like, well, this was won an Oscar and it's celebrated as you've said before, before Craig, you know, if we're going to get these very like famous movies, I don't think it should always be just a given, you know, it should be like an automatic pass because I would say it should be remembered. It should be watched, but should it be like in a vault to kind of represent what it wants to represent i i don't know to me it kind of reminds me of sort of like um what's the director who did um trial of the chicago seven um and like a few good men aaron sorkin is it his films in which they kind of all have the same vibe and you're like yeah that was really good you really know how to tell these true stories but do they stand out as like the best films of the year possibly not same with trial of the chicago seven i loved that film it represents something really important and this it reflects a lot of what is happening, but was it the best film of the year? No. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think for me it would be a no. Oh, sorry, Craig. I think, unfortunately, this week, Aaron Brockovich does not go into the movie Vault. We're in the Endgame now. Oh, okay, Endgame time. So the final thing uh, that I didn't say from VHS Corner, which is going to influence this game is that Erin Brockovich herself actually, on her own blog, rated how accurate this film is to a lot of the depictions of life. And the depi- and she said that she rates the, de- the accuracy of depictions at about 98%. So she, think, uh, so she thinks it's like quite highly. A couple, of th- uh, a couple of areas where things aren't accurate are things like she acknowledges why the film had to do it, but she never overtly used her sexuality to get things that she wanted. Um, the lawyer who represented her in the car crash scene wasn't actually um, uh, Masri. It was the partner. And then she ends up working for Masri. So that's uh, Vita Toe, is it? Because uh, it's Masri and Vita Toe. Uh, and then there are other sort of like low aspects. But apart from that, she thought that the film was highly accurate. Which brings us into what this week's endgame is called, which is called The Ups and Downs of Reality. So, uh, there is an article online written by David McCandless, uh, who is a data journalist and information designer, who runs on uh, a website called um, Information is Beautiful. And what he did during a couple of years, a couple of years ago, uh, was he he took various Oscar-nominated films, which were biopics, uh, and he went through all of the information that was known at the time, records, uh, videos, etc. And scene by scene breakdowns of various aspects. And he actually rated them um, between 0% and 100% how accurate to life those films were. Right. So basically, this is essentially a game of higher or lower. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a film and then I'm going to give you another film. And you have to say whether that film is higher or lower in terms of ac- real life accuracy. So... <laughs> The way this is, this basically you've got uh, two different sets each. Um, so basically, there's a set A, set B. Jasmine, as the guest, would you like to? Would you like your films to be set A or set B? I'm going to go B. Okay, so you're going to go for B. So what will happen is I will give you a film to start with. Then I'll give David his film. He has to say if it's higher or lower. 
then your film will be next and you have to say if it's higher or lower than David's. And it basically zigzags across. Sound good? Yeah. Basically then uh, the winner by the end is basically the one with the most points. And there is a tie break, um, which I will basically, uh, which I will enact in the event of a tie. But whoever wins basically gets to choose the film for the next episode. So before we actually play the game, I think it's always a good idea to have an idea of what exactly we're playing for. So... David, tell us a little bit about the film that you would suggest for next episode. Bear in mind there is a possibility of a particular guest coming on, so we're looking at a variety of themes such as, say, sci-fi, for example. So if you want to explain your film choice with those factors in mind. Uh, Yeah, so for me, it's mainly going down partly the sort of performance, award-winning route. Um, I'm going for a film from 2009. Um, In this scene, you have, like, you know, sexualization is, you know, a part of it, rightly or wrongly, as, as we learned there from Aaron Brockovich. Um, and, you know, there is a sort of alluded to or, you know, sex scene between her and uh, George. There was like a very famous one within this. Um, and also, I just think that this film brought a lot of uh, talent to, you know, the people's eyes who had previously not been seen as much, uh, which you had seen, you know, with Aaron Brockovich with the likes of Julia Roberts, etc., um, and was a very popular and Oscar-nominated film. Fantastic! You're going for the uh, performance-driven uh, route, which, by your own logic, will be ignored for next week. Okay, Jasmine in a sci-fi film. Right. So I am taking the themes of like the importance of the woman slightly differently not necessarily in a protagonist way but in a way that absolutely is the linchpin of the film but also the importance of location and sort of a place within a place so this is a film from 2006 it is I think it's one of my favorite films ever but in terms of awards it was a bit all over the place but people love it or they don't so it could be a really interesting one to discuss Okay, fantastic. So what's interesting is sometimes I have an idea of what the films are likely to be based on those descriptions. I have absolutely no idea what this is. So this is also going to be interesting for me. Okay, then. So are we ready to begin? Yes. Okay, let's begin the ups and downs of reality. So we're going to start. So the very first film that we're going to take is the sort of benchmark is The Social Network. So obviously the film about the creation of Facebook and the monster which has become Mark Zuckerberg. That was rated at a reality check of 71.6%. So David, with set A, your film is Rush. Is that higher or lower than The Social Network? Hmm... I'm going to say higher. Okay. One aspect I'm also going to introduce to make things interesting is for each answer, I will offer you a bonus point if you are within uh, within 5%, uh, 5% of the real answer of higher or lower. Awesome. So I thought you... that was just going to be the game. I was like, this is going to be difficult. No, 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 no. So I'll give you, bon- I'll give you bonus points. But say, for example, if this is high, if... If this is higher, what do you what percentage of real do you think it actually is? So what was social network against? Seventy-six point one. Seventy-six point one. I well, my my thinking is that because this is kind of based on like 
sports and everything like that there's less to kind of go wrong mm-hmm. um or to like change and obviously just social network again is very much dealing with a very like in social kind of person so with rush i'm gonna say something like 82 percent. you think it's 82 percent real yeah. okay so in terms of is it higher the answer is yeah it is higher and in terms of what percentage of reality is or reality check as i call it i think that's fun it's 81.9 wow okay oh my god wow 0.1 off i've watched a lot of true like uh based on true story films (laughs) i just kind of guessed that yeah that one would be more in the limelight stuff where social network is like behind closed doors kind of things okay so jasmine your first film so is this higher or lower than rush american sniper interesting i feel like there's gonna be more wriggle room with it so i'm gonna say lower you're gonna go for lower and what percentage do you think it's going to be Let's say, because when you said about the social network, I was a bit like, okay, that must be quite true to lie. And if that's at 76, let's say, let's say about, I don't know, 68 is the one that's calling out to me. You're going to go for 68? Yeah, that's probably my role. Is it lower? It is indeed lower. So in terms of its reality check... American Sniper was given a rating of 56.9. So unfortunately, no no bonus point for that one. I wasn't harsh enough. Yeah, I, I actually, that's why I was laughing to myself because I was thinking it should be like 30 because there was a real baby in, in real life, not the Cabbage Patch Kid or whatever was in that famous scene where it's just obviously a fake baby that Bradley Cooper is cradling. Yeah, we are, that we guy are. should have just been a loser's 40% just for that baby. <laughs> yeah, we are f- famously harsh against that. <laughs> okay then, so David, your next film, Philomena. Hmm. This is one I know a bit more about. And what was the American Sniper percentage? 56.9. Hmm. Depends on what what like gives them the percentages and stuff, I guess. Um, His website does go into detail about why he ranks it a certain way, but yeah. I've not I've not read every single thing. I only know about cursory bits of information. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say higher, but I don't, yeah, I don't think it's like a massive margin difference. I know they take a lot of creative liberties, but I don't think it would be lower because that's still quite a low one with American Sniper. Okay, so you think it's higher than American Sniper, but what do you think it is? I'm going to go with 70, 71%. Okay, so is it higher? It is indeed higher. And the percentage... It's 69.8. Oh, wow. <laughs> so David is just in there within the 5%. Wow. See, so, yeah, I know that that one is, there's no confrontation with the nun or anything yeah. at the end and all that kind of stuff. And she already 
yeah basically new reasons and stuff like that but apart from that i was pretty sure that they like she knew like she found out when they went over there and you know the journalist stuff and all that kind of thing yeah okay so jasmine yeah your second film the imitation game oh okay right so that was a what what percentage was Philomena at again? 69.8. 69. Okay. And because I respect the film, I'm not making the joke. Mm. Imitation game. My dad watched this not too long ago and said he thought it was really good. And he's really into his history. So I'm going to like trust his judgment and say it's a little bit higher. You're going to go for a little bit higher. So what percentage are you going to go for? 73. You're going to go for 73. So is it higher? Oh. It's not. Now, technically, you could still get a bonus point because if it's within the 5%, mm. so if it's like, if it's I'm like 60... I'm numbers out of thin air. I'm going to be way off. The exact percentage it was given is 41.4. Wow. Oh my God. See, I was thinking because it's World War Two. Yeah. And then, yeah, I suppose if he's going off like documents and stuff, it's again, it's that Facebook thing of like, was there as much known and that kind of stuff? Or, and yeah. especially because that film has so much flashbacks to like his sexuality and stuff. They just don't have proof that any of that. <laughs> oh, no, the sexuality stuff is. Well, we know the sexuality, but again, we're like the specifics. Yeah. Where this, where the film scores is what happens to Alan Turing at the end. Ah, right. Okay. So it's actually a lot of the actual depictions of the code-breaking stuff. Apparently, a lot of it was just in terms of how they actually found things out quite fictionalized. Okay. But from one war epic to another, David, your next film is Bridge of Spies. Oh. One that I do not know about any kind of dramas of right or wrong. So that one was... I'm going to say higher because I just struggle to think it would be lower, especially for a Steven Spielberg film because he's got a history of that kind of stuff. Higher? What percentage are you going to go for? I think it's easy to go a lot higher as Jasmine did, but because I kind of was thinking, oh well, that was World War Two, so you know there's less known, so I should stick with my logic. So I'm going to say fifty. 56. Okay, you're going based on the type fact it's old times and okay, maybe it wasn't on a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Is it higher than Imitation Game? It is. It's uh, so fun fact about Imitation Game it was the of the films that he uh, looked at, it was the lowest ranking he actually gave out. Oh, okay. Um, but is so you went for 56. 56. Um, the exact uh, reality check he gave uh, Bridge of Spies was 89.9. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I was thinking something high like that. I was like, you, there's not much for you to really change or go with because Jasmine was so like off. I was like, oh, okay, maybe the, there is. See, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Jasmine, your next film, mm-hmm. The King's Speech. Higher or lower than Bridge of Spies? Oh, that's tough. Right. I almost feel like because it was so popular, they would have to have changed stuff. 80-odd is high. I've got a better margin. 
are more likely to be in the lower percentage than the higher. But people did love that film. And how much of that could have been true? Again, that's, it's old, so did they know us? Right, I'm just I'm going to stop asking myself questions and just say lower. You're going to go for lower. Okay, so what percentage are you going to go for? Let's try and play safe and go about 65. Okay, so is it lower? Yes. It is. The exact reality check it's given is 75. 3.4 so Ooh. just missed out just missed out on the bonus point range that was tough because again like the crown and stuff as well is like royal family stuff is often fictionalized as well right, isn't right. It? i love changing them details okay so david your next film mm-hmm. is going to be captain phillips oh a film i referenced before <laughs> recording Tom Hanks sure does love doing true story films, doesn't he? I'm going to say higher because it's, is it Paul Green Greengrass? And he, I don't I just can't see that he would. He's such a like to the letter, gritty, realistic director. And that film seemed pretty spot on. It was pretty like, you know, documentary style in some ways. So okay. I can't really see how you would. So you're going to go higher? What percentage? You know what? Screw it. Just go. I'm going to go 89. Oh. <laughs> is it higher? Good backfire. Oh. <laughs> it is indeed higher. Its reality check score is 81.4. Oh. <laughs> so you shot a little bit too high. Jasmine, your next film 12 Years a Slave. I don't envy you, Fabin, Seppi. Oh, <laughs> Higher or lower than Captain Phillips? It's got, it's got to be lower. There's just there's got to be some romanticization there. It just has to be to okay. actually make it watchable. Okay, so you're going to go for lower. What percentage? I'll say around. Wait, what was our lowest one that was given out? Forty-one point four. Right. Okay. Let's put it at fifty-seven. You're going to go for fifty-seven. So first things first. Is it lower? What? It is indeed higher. Wow. 88.1. Wow. Stop it. How? I think because it was based on, like, a because it's based on a book, right, which is literally written by... Oh, the man himself. The man himself. Right. And I guess that kind of trade, unfortunately, would be well documented and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I think where he's, basic, where he's basically coming from, from his analysis, is that if the sources were a lot of the film would be derived as is, is suspect, then that's where he ranks it a bit down. But if the sources are like, would be considered to be high, AKA like, you know, sort of written biographically or autobiographically, then he basically gives them a lot of allowances. So yeah, that was 88.1. So almost what Jasmine said earlier, even though in that case, this wouldn't be physically possible, but w- were they there at the award ceremony to, mm. to approve? <laughs> yes, this was an accurate representation. That's That might bump it up maybe in percentage. Okay, David, so your final film, mm-hmm. Spotlight. Oh. Higher or lower than 12 Years a Slave? And 12 Years a Slave was? 88.1. Hmm. Again, I'm trying to think if there's just anything major that seems like, oh, that wasn't real or that was exaggerated. And they're all such gritty, 
realistic films, which is why they're successful. I can't see... Like, if you'd said Judy or something, then I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think he wrote the article years before Judy came out. <laughs> I'm going to say lower because, again, you're going off, like, people's accounts of, like, criminal activity. So, again, they might have, like, dramatized some stuff. Okay. And what score are you going to give it? 74. Okay. So, is it lower? Mm-hmm. It's it was reality. a high one, so... It's reality check. It was 81.4. Oh. No, wait, sorry. 81.6. Just, yeah, just out of the range so you don't get the bonus point. Yeah, I think being a film about journalists, I think a lot of it is going to be quite well documented. I thought that. That's why I was like, okay, I don't think it's drastically different, but it's just because that other one was so high. I was yeah, just like, I can't imagine it being be 90s. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be more like the emotional outburst of the actual journalist's involvement, right? So, okay, and then... Jasmine, your final film. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. The Big Short. Okay. I don't know too much about this. Okay. But if I'm, we're coming off the back of journalists to, like, a heist or whatever by a group of guys that's probably going to be clowned about a bit, I'll say lower. You're going to go for lower? Okay, and what score are you going to estimate? I I've been wrong with almost every single one, so I'm going to shoot higher than I'd think and say seventy. You're going to go for seventy. Okay, so first things first, is it lower than Spotlight? Oh my god! It's ninety-one point four. Wow. What rules is this guy? He's just making up his own. Every single thing that I've contested, he's just—he's like he's there going, no, actually, yeah. do this. So I think because this, because it was a book about how exactly the global recession happened, I think again, um, and also a lot of the film takes time to try and explain the sort of mortgage crisis. I think that's where a lot of it does come from. Did you say you seen? You haven't seen it, Jasmine? Or was it? No, yeah, see, but to from me, how I remember it being advertised, just mm. the way that it came across, okay. yeah. I'd have sort of had more of a sort of playfulness with it. That's yeah. understandable, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's literally a film showing how various people predicted and basically profited off of the, uh, the financial crisis in 2008. So at the end of that, at the end of that game, and I will say it is a challenging game, uh, but on the basis of like the bonus points, um, Jasmine has two, but David is the winner with seven. So congratulations, wow. David. I mean, it was only going one way. <laughs> and like I said, I think if the if, winner. if it was A or if I had had A, I think it would have gone a very different way as well because it was tricky because you had a lot more historical ones. It, yeah, it's a luck of the draw thing. I try to make it as like as balanced mm. and I try to think about all the metagame possibilities yeah, that could happen. And it depends on what you've seen as well. Like I said, if you know that something's based off a book, etc. So yeah, but I do enjoy a good true story film and I yeah. do often look how accurate they are. So I was was uh, lucky in that sense when we did like adaptations from books i failed completely at that because i don't read much <laughs> so that basically means that you get the film choose a film oh, yes well um so <laughs> we've had a lot of niche and um crazy films from different parts of a film timeline and of course when it comes to me i've gone for the largest film of all time so n- next time we'll be watching 
Avatar, <laughs> which has a sequel out this year. And I felt equally you had an um, actor like, what's his name? Sam, ah, Sam Worthington. Worthington okay. So well, he's like <laughs> stayed in the public domain. But Sam Worthington, kind of like his first like big role. Um, and then you did have like obviously a lot of like sexual scenes with him uh, and Zoe Saldana or their characters, which was Jake and Natiri. And obviously it's going down that sci-fi route in a very big way because it is literally like the biggest dune in sci-fi film of all time and the biggest dune in film of all time. So yeah, I thought that would be a fun one as we've got the sequel coming out this year. Good to start off the summer blockbuster season with. (laughs) Out of interest, Jasmine, what was your choice? Oh, I went down a totally different route. Um, Cynic Dosh, New York. Cynic Dosh, New York. Have you guys ever seen it? I've so no, I've not come across one of it. Philip Seymour Hoffman's like most well-known films, but basically because of like the women in his life, he essentially builds a New York within New York. It's, it's I mean, I thoroughly recommend you watch it. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, I probably will because I've I've seen Avatar and I don't like the film, so I'll happily <laughs> just watch that and talk about. Just it. pretend that I've won. <laughs> that is one that I do want to look at. So yeah, we do have a little. Uh, basket of movies as we said earlier which we have the recommendations that didn't make it in that hopefully will come back in the future whether it be through a lucky dip or um, when we decide to pick one out of there if we want to start afresh so uh, yeah hopefully that will come up uh, in the future um, as for the film that we will be discussing next time yep so if you want to join in with the conversation at home and uh, watch avatar before our next episode um, and join in the conversation, uh, get refresh your opinions on it, get ready for the sequel and um, see and compare notes on what we think next time. You can catch it over on Disney Plus as a part of your subscription, which I think is the first time we've had a film that's on Disney Plus. Uh, and also where you can rent it in places like uh, Amazon, Chili, Apple TV. You can catch it on physical media. Not yet out on 4K. I'm assuming they're saving that for the blue uh, for the sequel when that comes out. But you can catch it on Blu-ray. You can catch it in 3D maybe if you still have a 3D TV. So go check out Avatar before the next episode. And uh, yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun in that one. I'm sure. Craig, was the last time you watched it literally like when not long after it came out? Yeah, because there's nothing to talk about with that film. I had no reason to ever watch it again. <laughs> That's why I chose it. I was like, I'll be great. Watch this again. So, Christ, you don't like me. <laughs> Jasmine, uh, and when you said, oh, this is very much a film that people like love and hate, I was like, mine is too. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Jasmine. So please do tell us... Uh, where can the people catch you some of the places they can catch your writing and uh your social media etc um thank you so much for having me um so i'm pretty much the jasmine valentine all one word on every social media channel uh keep an eye out for me um let me think i am gonna be over at polygon soon and metro so in the next couple of weeks yeah keep an eye out for me there awesome nice. and you said it was uh film hounds is which you do like the oh, TV. yeah if you ever have any tv ideas for me you're more than welcome to pitch me <laughs> although I'm, I'm where i'm doing this on a film podcast but you never mm. know no. True. it all overlaps these days especially exactly. you know, star wars is doing tv shows <laughs> etc mm. so exactly. and uh, stranger things is like a two-hour episode is like really <laughs> yeah so ridiculous but that's a, that's a conversation for another time exactly yes well uh, we hope you do join us another time jasmine we would be happy to have you back thank you for joining us it's been a fantastic discussion 
yeah awesome right well uh we'll catch you next time thank you again jasmine and uh see you all in the future bye 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 keep up with the latest episodes of well good movies you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets including apple google spotify youtube and more don't forget to follow us subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing you can follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at well good movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future and if all of that isn't enough you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. <laughs>